This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Florida Surf Film Festival podcast series, Surf Stories. I'm John Brooks, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Kevin Miller. Hey, everybody. And uh, for those of you that didn't catch our first episode, our goal here is to uh, find a way to document some of these great surf stories. Uh, We usually show them in film format at the film festival, but uh, since we can't do that right now, uh, we're trying to figure out a way to still get them down and recorded and so that's why we started this podcast and uh, that's what we're going for and so today uh, we've got Sean Gilbert via Zoom from his South Florida office and Sean is a cameraman, Uh, he specializes in underwater camera tech, Uh, he's worked on over 40 uh, Hollywood films, uh, television programs, uh, done some surfing uh, around along the way. Pirates of the Caribbean, Avatar, Let's say Into the Blue, I mean Magic City. Yeah, a a long list of really uh, popular films, uh, well-known films. And uh, Sean's got some great stories from his adventures traveling around the globe, uh, shooting films uh, both underwater and above ground, and uh, we can't wait to dive into those. Uh, Before we do, of course, we want to thank our sponsors. The Florida Surf Film Festival is presented by Monster Energy. Couldn't do it without those guys. Um, as well as Rourke Apparel, Yeti, Globe Footwear, uh, Red Dog Surf Shop, and Advent Health. And then, of course, our media partners, Surfline.com and the Surfer's Journal. Uh, any historical research is done by Encyclopedia of Surfing and Matt Warshaw. Big thanks to him. You can always jump on and grab a subscription to that. And uh, so, yeah, without further ado, we'll get right into Sean's stories. Can I just add that if we do anything wrong or if we say anything Completely idiotic. Beach Grit will be happy to cover it, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Thank you, Chaz. So in high school, you know, I uh, lived with a single mother and who was, you know, my parents went through a divorce. And so my mom was just hadn't worked in 15 years and entered the um entered the uh the work you know force again and so she was pretty non-existent not to her fault just trying to pay the bills um out working so i was kind of like a lost uh soul i had really didn't have any direction didn't know what i wanted to do uh wasn't really studying in school uh my life was mostly based on socializing surfing and wrestling and uh so when i came out of school you know a lot of my friends were going away to college and i was kind of like okay well I didn't, uh, I didn't follow that structure. And, and so, you know, what am I going to do here? So that summer out of high school, I started to work, uh, construction with a friend and I quickly realized, uh, doing manual labor that this is not something I want to do for the rest of my life. So I kind of started looking around at options and ironically, Universal and MGM had opened up in Orlando, uh, and, 
they had opened up stages and a few TV shows were starting to film there, one being Superboy and the other one Sequest. And a, one of the actress, actresses or actors from Sequest uh, rented one of my mom's apartments. So I kind of got a little bit of a gist from her of what was going on. So I actually went and watched Superboy, which was filming in downtown Orlando, uh, being shot. And I was always into movies growing up, loved movies. Um, and so I watched this production happen and I was kind of like, this seems to fit my personality. How do I get into this? Like, this is actually, you can actually make a living, you know, working on movies and shows and commercials. So I, uh, so I started to dig a little bit and I, and Valencia, which is the community college in Orlando had started a technical program, uh, endorsed by Steven Spielberg. And when he endorsed it, you know, they had I don't know, thousands of applicants come in because it was more of a, it wasn't a film school like, like a UCLA where, you know, everyone's trying to direct or, or, you know, produce or write. It was more of a technical school that taught the below the, below the line uh, arts, if you call them arts, uh, grip and electric, um, uh, shoot, uh, camera operating, DPing, uh, prop master, things like that. Things that when you look at, you know, when we watch movies, you see these credits, you know, what's a grip, what's a gaffer? It was all those, yeah. all those, uh, all those positions that they were actually teaching. And, and they were actually being taught by people in the industry that would kind of dedicate, you know, a month out of their time and uh, come in and teach. So there's real, uh, real people working in the industry teaching their craft. Um, so I, I went through all the rigmarole to get into that program and I got in and uh, I was thrown into the camera department right out of the gate, not by choice, just by default. And the guy teaching camera um, was uh, an ASC, which stands for the American Society of Cinematographers, which is a very honorary, you know, it's basically a club uh, to get into, you know, the top guys in the world are, out of the United States, that is, and even some foreigners are in it, or ASC DPs. These are the guys that are shooting the big major motion pictures or TV shows. So he was a retired ASC cinematographer, director of photography, same thing, uh, that had shot like MASH for eight seasons, had done movies in the 70s like The Towering Inferno, and had worked his way up from where basically I was going to be coming into this as a as a loader a camera loader someone basically the low low guy on the totem pole that's loading the film that's being shot uh in the movies and this is obviously during the film days now we're in our digital age now but this is this, this is when it was just all film so uh he kind of we, we you know i we, we kind of became buds right became friends he kind of mentored me and took me under his wing and he was still shooting little things on the side so I ended up operating uh, under his tutelage on a low budget feature that was being shot in central Florida and, um, and, you know, just trying to absorb everything he was teaching me. And then, you know, the, when the program kind of started coming to an end, you know, I was going to go into UCF's film program just to get you know, the bachelor's degree, which when I started that process, uh, he called me and said, Hey, listen, you know, a, a buddy of mine is going to shoot a movie called strip tease. Uh, down in uh, South Florida, you know, is that something you're interested in? And of course I was like, yeah. So I moved to Miami with like literally $200 in my pocket, found a place to, to live 
and got on uh, Striptease, the film, as a as a production assistant. You know, Carl Hyacin, Carl Hyacin novel, and Burt Reynolds was already cast, and I'm sure everything was done on that front. And Demi Moore was involved. And what are you doing? Are you doing uh, water stuff by now, or no? No, no, I had not done anything. You know, I didn't even really know that existed, right? I mean, I knew it existed. Obviously, I'd seen movies like Thunderball and, you know, the James Bond films and The Deep with film, but that hadn't really crossed my mind yet. Even though I was I was a scuba diver, I was already certified. I got certified young, obviously a, a surfer and, uh, you know, a Central Florida kid that grew up on lakes and just around the water. So, you know, water was always, you know, my playground, but I hadn't thought about incorporating that work-wise yet because I hadn't been exposed to it. So on striptease, there was, you know, no water in striptease. Um, so when I left striptease, I was kind of like, okay, what do I do next? Cause you kind of just floating about and you, you go from gig to gig. Dude, and- we just totally flew by striptease and we, we want to know, were you on set during the good stuff? Gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know what, I know what scenes you're talking to speak of. Uh, I was on set, but no, for the scenes that you're digging for, that was a very limited crew, which is basically what we call a closed set. And what a closed set is, is when basically the assistant director uh, gives a big speech and only the people that are absolutely needed to be on that set to make it actually work and function. Uh, that's the only people allowed. And I wasn't, I didn't fall into that category, unfortunately, at this time in my career. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, we can, uh, you can be on set for most scenes, you know, if you want to come and watch, if you're not working, you know, people, a lot of, a lot of people standing around is once you start to roll, obviously you're rolling sound and whatnot, and you can come and watch if you'd like to, um, if you're not busy, but on that particular case now because of the circumstances. Well, they got to so, keep it perfect. I'm sorry. Crying I'm, out loud. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 don't have, you're not disappointing me. I figured I would have already heard about that, but I can't believe we glossed over it because obviously she's uh, uh, a big hit, but um, I, yeah, I appreciate no dirt, no, no dirt on that. Sorry. No, no, Sorry that's good. So tell us, yeah, what happened after that? Uh, so, you know, basically, you know, I was working as a production assistant. I, I wanted to get into the camera department because that's where, you know, that's where my, um, where I wanted to go, basically what I wanted to do. Um, and so asking around, I was told, you know, Sean, you need to go work in a, in a camera rental house, which I didn't even know what the hell that was at the time, right? And a camera rental house. Okay, what, what's that? Well, that's basically a, a company that has uh, an inventory of, of cameras and lenses and specialty gear and support gear um, that uh, rents it out to various productions, whether it be feature films, commercials, episodic TV, industrials, documentaries. And the one that was in Miami at the time, the largest one in the Southeast actually was a place called Cinevideotech. And so I call Cinevideotech up, talked to a guy named Pat Longman, who was the, the rental manager that ran the place. The guy named Egon Stefan, which was this German, everybody said, oh, you know, watch out for Egon. He's a, he's a, he's a tough character. Well, I didn't talk to Egon. I talked to Pat. And I asked him if they had a job. He said, no, because, you know, this is everybody who want to be in the camera department. That, that's the ticket in, right? Because you learn all the gear, you meet all the producers, you meet all the guys that are working freelance because they come in and they 
they put an order in, like a cinematographer will come in and put an order into this place. Hey, I need this type of camera with these lenses. Um, they'll pull the package out and then the, the assistant cameramen who are basically the head technicians on set on the, in the camera department on set, uh, sometimes are labeled as focus polar, but they're based, they run the camera department. The cinematographer is their, is their boss, but they run the rest of the camera department and they're in charge of making sure that every piece of gear, uh, that comes on set is ordered first and foremost and functional and works and stays within the budget of, uh, of the film, which is given to them by the unit production manager or a producer. So that, so in anything that's broken, you know, they either have it, they either fix it themselves or they send it in. And so they just manage the camera department throughout the whole production. They're looking at calendars, uh, you know, being proactive on what pieces of gear they need later on down the line. And so they were, those guys were all coming through there. And so it was a real opportunity to meet uh, and get my foot in the door with the people that, you know, cause I really wanted to be out on set shooting. And that was the, that was the ultimate goal. So I call up Pat to get a job there. He said, we're not hiring. I said, I'll come in for free and intern. We don't, you know, the answer was we don't take interns. And so, you know, I hung up the phone with my tail between my legs and like, okay, what am I going to do next? So, I started to uh, PA, which is a production assistant on commercials whenever I could. And I was waiting tables uh, to make ends meet. And so the problem with freelancing is when you get the call, you got to take it because it leads to the next call. So I went through a lot of restaurants where I'd apply and I'd work one day and get a production assistant job and I wouldn't show up again, right? Because that was the game I had to play. And uh, uh, ironically, um, I ran into a friend of my brother's who had gone to, uh, who had grown up with this guy, Pat Longman that ran Cinevideo Tech. And in my conversation with her and what I was doing with my life, she said, well, I have this friend, Pat Longman that runs this place called Cinevideo Tech. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I try to get a job there. And within two hours I was hired after her phone call into Pat, which was, you know, which was great. So what did you do to her? Uh, I well, I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> just be nice, thank God. Yeah. So uh, yeah, she was just a, you know just a person looking to help out uh, a struggling twenty-one-year-old who was jumping from job to job in Miami, you know, fish out of water, uh, trying to figure out you know how how to how to navigate uh, this industry. So um, so I get the job there and. Uh, you know, long story short, they ended up having underwater housings that I gravitated to. You know, the actual cameras, uh, camera housings that these motion picture cameras get put into. And, you know, you got to have a technician that knows what they're doing so you don't uh, flood a $100,000 camera package. Um, and so I gravitated to that part of the rental house where I really learned these underwater housings because I was a water guy. I'm like, man, these, you know, these things are going on movies and you know, this is, this is people operate these things. This is unbelievable. So, um, so I kind of became known as the guy when you came into Cine Video Tech to take an underwater housing out that would teach you. And, and when the, when the, when the camera housings came back in, I would go, go through them and make sure the O-rings were good and all the electronics worked and they functioned. And in that process, 
the company that made the housings was a company called Hydroflex out of uh, Los Angeles. And the guy that owned Hydroflex was a gentleman by the name of Pete Romano, ASC, um, who was the top notch underwater cinematographer at the time uh, in the industry. You know, in his list of credits or, you know, uh, extensive from like the second Jaws to uh, True Lies to, you know, um, even he's still shooting today. I mean, the list goes on, right? Life Aquatic. Um, so I developed a uh, relationship with him, just calling up and figuring out, hey, that you know, this piece of gear is damaged. I need a replacement or I need another housing or I need some underwater lights for this project. We only have seven here, you know, they, we want 15. And, and, a, and a gentleman that worked there by the name of Matt. So I developed a relationship with these guys and they came to know me on a first name basis. And, uh, and uh, a little bit of trust came between the two of us that I kind of knew, figured out what I was doing and I knew, I knew their gear. So um, I left after three years of being there, you know, very, uh, very schooled in, pretty much all the camera gear that was out that I could, that I, I got in my hands on. And I developed a relationship with a lot of the camera assistants, first assistants that I had talked about earlier and a lot of the producers in town. So I decided it was time to jump the nest and freelance, uh, kind of let everybody know I was doing it. And, uh, and I was very, uh, I was very lucky that when I came out, people started calling me and I started working right away. And a lot of that was, Hey Sean, before we get too far past that, I just want to ask. So we're still in the in the uh, age of film at this point. Yeah. And so these underwater cameras and housings, like, what size are these things? Like, they're pretty. They're pretty large. Yeah. Equipment, so, correct. Yes, they are actually, especially compared to today's. Uh, well, there are still some large ones, but they've they've they have gotten smaller. But you know, we're not talking like a DSLR uh, GoPro type of camera. Um, the motion, so the motion picture cameras, um, you know, were, you know, you have the camera body, right. Which is, you know, fairly large. It's basically a sewing machine, the old film cameras, cause it's just, you know, mechanics with two pull down claws pulling the film through what they call the gate. Um, and then you attach the lens, right? So the lenses are another extension of that. Um, and you could, we could, you could pick lenses. It wasn't like a, uh, video camera you buy and it's all inclusive right this is this is like one cinematographer like like these cook lenses another guy likes uh zeiss lenses right so y- you had to f- configure the housing based on what the, the the production was shooting on right and you always try to mimic underwater if you're shooting a movie for instance whatever the top side what i call it, top side the regular uh production going on the regular filmmaking the narrative filmmaking going on on the surface you always try to mimic the camera going in the water and the lenses so they match right so when the editors is not like the post-production is not like it was you know it, not like it is now the post-production meaning you can go into your apple and manipulate everything even though you'd have a color timer and whatnot you could do some some things but a lot of stuff was done in camera you know the look was established in camera on on film and so you always try to mimic the, the lenses going on so depending on how big those ones were their panavision lenses um, and then you had to put the film on top, right? So typically, uh, film, the, well, back, you know, film is either a 400-foot mag of film, which is three and a half minutes, or a 1,000-foot roll of film, which is 11 minutes, right? So because 
the housing had to be built around the actual camera. You always use a 400 foot mag of film because you didn't, you wanted the housing to be small, right? Because the, the volume of air in the housing uh, determines how much weight you have to put on that housing to get underwater, right? Okay. The more air, the more air volume, the, 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 the float, the more buoyant it is, right? Sure. So now, so if you got this giant housing, you know, you're going to have to put, you know, uh, you know, 100, 100 pound of lead on this thing to get it neutral in the water. Because that's the ultimate goal, right? To get it neutral. Um, to have it to where you're swimming around and it's effortless, right? And you let it go. It just kind of stays in front of you, you know, or it's very, you may be slightly negative. You never want it buoyant because then you, you know, it goes away from you. You don't want it too negative. Then something happens, it sinks to the bottom. And if you're, you know, in a thousand feet of water, you don't ever see it again. So you try to keep it as small as possible, but it was always based on the size of the camera, which once you put the 400 foot mag on this camera, it's pretty good size, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it was a pretty bulky uh, system, even though we tried. How much, tried. how much did it weigh before the lead? So it's probably once you get the camera in and, and the aluminum housing with all the ports and everything on top of it, um, you're probably looking at 60 pounds. Uh, yeah. So, you know, two person, two people on the boat to get it into the water, you know, it wasn't something you really wanted, even though we do. It wasn't really something you want to lug around on the surface by yourself, you know. Uh, if you want, if you want your back to last in this industry. Um, so yeah, it was, and then and then you would get it in the water and, and trim it accordingly, meaning like you'd add lead, you'd balance it, like you know, put it. You wouldn't want to put the lead on all, you know, on the right, all on the right side, because then it would be, you know, right heavy, right, unbalanced. So you'd be fighting it left. So you know, I I, can, I, I kind of compare to people who ask me what it's like to operate underwater, uh, that, that work in film, uh, I go, that work in film now, like operators, like what's it like to get out? I go, it's very similar to Steadicam on the surface, right? So Steadicam is basically an art form where these guys balance these cameras and can walk with it where you're not seeing the shake in the camera and the moves, right? That's, that's, and the gimbals now, right? Now the movies and things like that, that's kind of the same process so it's to take the, the shake out of it and be able to move the camera uh shooting underwater is very similar you want that housing to be perfectly balanced to be perfectly uh uh you know neutral so that when you swim you know and you're watching you're you're the audience watching a giant screen you know and there's a push-in on somebody's face underwater or they're doing a you know establishing shot you're not feeling the vibration or the correction from the operator, right? It's supposed to take you out of like, oh, wait a minute, what was that? That jarring or that jittery, or you can tell someone's fighting it, right? Um, if it's a smooth shot, obviously there's an action scene, the camera's moving around, but uh, that's the goal, right? To be able to, uh, to, to hide any imperfections, take the audience away uh, from the fact that someone's actually behind that thing swimming it. Um, Dude, John, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I just gonna say, what, give me your worst, uh, your worst story of uh, having a camera sink or flood or like what's your what's your worst nightmare of uh, of operating a camera underwater that happened to you? Uh, well, I, I I personally have never flooded a camera, which is thank God because you know it goes knock around. On some wood for you. <laughs> knock on some wood. I personally, I have had a camera flood on set, but it wasn't due to 
operator technician error. Um, I have had water get into the housings, but we've we've caught it and figured it out, right? And that's part of you know uh, part of working as a team, right? We all have, kind of have our checks and balances where we're all looking for things and signs. Uh, there are leak detectors in these housings that go off if they get water in, um, but uh, but you know sometimes it's too late if it's a big leak. You know if you have all the leak detectors in the world, um, and I and I have had housings come back flooded when I worked at the rental house for, you know, for, you know, human error, but uh, the worst scenario I've seen, or, well, pro well, the, probably the, probably the, well, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny story on Into the Blue, which was a movie with um, Jessica Alba and Paul Walker that I was the, the underwater technician on. Um, we, we were on that for four months and we had, we were rotating four housings in the water at any given day. And, it was a great movie to film to work on. We actually, the, the team, a team that I work with still to this day and have relationships with, uh, Pete Zuccarini was the underwater cinematographer on that. Uh, and, and, and a lot of the technicians I still work with and re work on movies with where we were all on that. And we developed a lot on that movie. A lot of, a lot of really, uh, of kind of like uh, new techniques to, to shoot efficiently underwater. We incorporated free diving and whatnot. But anyway, to get back to what your question was, we uh, we were asked to send the housing to first unit. Uh, first unit, we were second unit underwater unit, and um, to send it to the house because they were going to blow up the plane. In the film, if you've watched the film, there's a big underwater explosion, a plane full of cocaine that gets blown up. And so, in the blue, which was you know, which was a great film to work on, um, we we blew a housing up basically. We found it scattered along the the. the the ocean floor film and everything. They put the camera too close to the explosion. Uh, you know, we, we basically took our, the distance from the guy doing the special effects. He said to put it X amount away. We mounted it X amount away and it blew. Uh, luckily no one was in the water. It was a mounted underwater housing and it blew the camera to bits, which is, you know, we're talking about a, a housing that's pressure rated to 300 feet, you know, made of aluminum. Anyway, so we had that we had, we had that actually somewhere as a relic. I, I don't know where it's at now, but we have it in our in one of our warehouses. But uh, so yeah, Into the Blue was a uh, was a film that we shot in the Bahamas. We shot it in. Uh, no, I know people don't think of the Bahamas as a surf place, although the out islands get great waves. Eleuthera and um, and the Abacos get some really world class waves. But uh, we didn't shoot in the. We shot in the middle of the Bahamas in New Providence which is where uh, the capital of Nassau is located. So, you know, which I had shot there, you know, a lot because it's basically our backyard here in Florida. And so, and we have a whole dive operation that whenever we shoot sharks or we need sharks or, or wildlife or wrecks, we have a, there's a company there and a guy by the name of Stuart Cove who, uh, who does, you know, has done a lot of this uh, production work filming. And we, um, and he's accustomed to having boats, you know, cameras on boats and crews and whatnot. So we shot into the blue there. Um, the whole movie was shot in, uh, in New Providence there. So, you know, we don't think of ways, but we had a lot of surfers on that, on that set. And one of the prop guys actually had thrown some boards in the boat going over with a lot of the gear. Well, Paul Walker, who was the star of the film, uh, was an avid surfer from California. And I had just finished Too Fast and Too Furious with him, literally, like a month before. 
And ironically, I end up on another movie with him. So when we saw each other, we were kind of laughing, like, because, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of films going on for you end up with the same star back to back is, is very, you know, it doesn't happen that often. So he asked if his brother, his little brother could, could be one of our interns on, on the underwater unit. And we said, sure. So he became part of our unit and, you know, we, uh, we kind of became friends and uh, Paul uh, ended up buying a boat and bringing it over uh, to have to fish off of and whatnot. Well, we have we had locals on our set. Like any any place we travel, we always try to hire locals. And you know, having locals on a film set when you're in places, uh, you know, far away out of the United States or anywhere, even in the United States, is a benefit, right? Because they know the lay of the land, uh, especially when you're dealing with water. They know uh, where to shoot with the winds coming out of the east, where to go that's protected, um, current, you know, places to find wildlife. You know, it's just always beneficial to have someone that knows the waters and a local on set plus they know you know they know the fun things to do on the weekends right and so we had a couple guys who were surfers that were locals and they were talking about this place called love beach and you know i'd been there you know i don't know half a dozen times and i'd never heard of waves on this island and i'd never heard of love beach and they're like oh yeah you just wait you know wait till a north swell comes in and love beach goes off there's this reef that sits you know probably a quarter mile off the, uh, you know, the beach there. And there, it drops down to 3000 feet, but it comes, comes right up to about seven, a seven or eight foot reef. And so you get these swells that come in this deep water and it hits this reef and they go, it's like a world, it's a world-class right when it breaks and it probably only breaks three times a year. Well, lo and behold, we're there in January and this, this Northeasters in the Atlantic and, this we're all driving and we see this wave, right? And it's 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 just like they explained. And so we, on you know, we basically at wrap, which we wrapped a little early on purpose because the cinematographer on our show Pete is a surfer as well, so he had control. So we wrapped early and we grabbed the boards, and we paddled out uh, to this wave. And you know, it was a quarter mile paddle out, and then you get out to the wave, and uh, and then, you know, you're having to obviously paddle through the break. And it was, it was unbelievable. Crystal clear water, perfect uh, glassy waves all to ourselves, right? Well, we surfed until dark, which was a problem because we had a quarter mile paddle back in uh, through the dark, which took, you know, at least, you know, probably an hour to get back in. You know, we're dealing with current and everything. So, you know, we're like, well, we got this. We, we have a better system for this. Well. Paul, being a surfer, found out about the break and had a boat. So, um, and then we found another local had a boat. So the next time we went out, we took advantage, and Paul came with us, and Paul stunt double, and uh, we took advantage of uh, Paul's boat that we could anchor right out in the channel and surf, uh, and then come back in when when it was dark, not paddling through, uh, you know, a quarter of a mile of uh, dark ocean with creatures looming i'm sure um which we had which which we had seen lots of and by, by this time because we were filming them sure. um you know that, that's always running through your mind but anyway so yeah we were able to take advantage of uh paul's stardom and and uh and the fact that he surfed and that he bought this boat and we had you know had a really great 
great time surfing with him. May he rest in peace. And, um, you know, we had that surfing bond, right? Yeah, that's uh, and, cool. uh, out there, out there, he was just, you know, he was obvious, he was already a, a very humble and really cool guy, but he was, you know, out there, he was just another one of us hanging out, surfing, uh, enjoying the waves. And he was a very, he was a good surfer too. Did you have to pick up Gary Busey at the airport? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was kind <laughs> of, a, that was when I was, uh, that was when I was a production assistant. So, you know, prior to going into the rental house. Yeah, that's that was a pre, that was like a super exciting uh, time for me because you know, you know, you hear, you know, I'm trying to get into this industry. You know, I really haven't been around famous people uh, at all. But you know, at this point, you know, I guess I was around Demi Moore and Burt Reynolds, and they were kind of the first. But you know, I'm I'm still kind of starstruck at this point, right? And you know, most people don't think as Gary Busey. You know, he, he obviously had his his time you know, as like a huge A-list actor, but for, you know, for me and for our group of friends, we were, uh, being surfers, we were all fans of the movie Big Wednesday. And if you haven't seen it, you should. Um, it's beautifully shot. Cinematography is, you know, is, is beautiful in it. And, uh, and it's a coming of age story. And Gary Busey is the, uh, one of the characters in the film and called the masochist. And if you surf, you know, uh, you've got to you've got to watch this film because uh, his character in this in this movie is just you know this this hardcore, epic, crazy guy that uh, kind of becomes um, you know everyone's favorite character. So you know we and we used to always quote him. See, he's got some classic quotes in this film. So growing up, we'd always kind of quote the masochist uh, some of his lines, like "I like sharks," you know, and and uh, when he's 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 getting drafted into the Vietnam War, and they're all trying to dodge the draft, so he goes in as this uh, vagabond homeless guy who's mentally uh, mentally ill. And so when they send him to a psychologist, and he's got all these great quotes like, you know, I like sharks, I eat light bulbs. So we used to quote this stuff, <laughs> and yeah, you know, growing up, and uh, you know, it kind of became part of our, you know. Uh, my our group of friends it kind of became kind of a regular thing to quote the masochist while we're out in the water and so here i am i get hired on this on this feature uh called plato's run which wasn't a really high high budget feature but it had some great actors in it roy scheider was in it from jaws and gary and uh and uh so you know i'm on set and they go hey sean you know we need you to go pick up one of the talent and i was like okay so you know take the take the, the vehicle and go uh it actually wasn't at his hotel it was actually in his trailer so i go okay well who am i picking up and they go uh gary and i'm like okay i'm going to pick up now i didn't really i didn't really you know i just was my first day here basically i really had, didn't know too much about this person i got called the night before so i'm on set and they're like go pick up gary so i jump in the van i go to the trailer uh well the team's puts me in his van because it's all everybody that drives on set is is in the union so the teamster union are the guys who do the transportation so i jumped in but working in the production department you know we always have someone go with the actors to and from set to keep tabs on them right to let the ad's know you know he's 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 on, he's in makeup he's on set all the communication is there so that you know time is not wasted so i go and i go to this trailer and i knock on the door and lo and behold the masochist opens the door and I, 
And I am like, I'm like, I'm like, and he's like, you know, in typical Gary Busey, and he's just like he is like in the movies, right? Texas accent. And he's like, hey. And I'm like, I go, hi, hi, Gary, I'm Sean. I'm here to get you said. He's like, hey, Sean, Gary. He's like, I'm, you know, five minutes away. I'm like, okay. So I go in and I'm like, you know, community, hey, for Gary's five minutes. And they're like, great. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, I'm picking up the freaking masochist. Like I'm hanging out with the mad And all I could think of was all my buddies. Like if they could see me now, I'm hanging out with the freaking masochist, right? And this is, you know, we didn't have the cell phone, you know, abilities. No, you know, there's no FaceTime or no texting. So, you know, I'm like, these guys are not going to believe that I am hanging out with the masochist right now. And so he comes out. And uh, I go to set with him and I'm like, you know, hey, Gary, do you, you know, it's hot. It's like, you know, middle of July in Southport. I'm like, hey, Gary, do you, you know, can I get you something to drink? And he's like, Coca-Cola, Sean, Coca-Cola. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, so I go get him a Coke. And so, uh, you know, I spent pretty much the whole day with him and uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, he's a super nice guy, uh, very friendly, you know, kind of told him, you know, it was my first you know second gig so you know he's he was a very gracious person so as my career kind of started taking off you know i, I came out in freelance and uh, the gentleman that i was speaking about earlier that owned hydroflex pete romano you know found out that i was out i had left uh the rental camera rental house center video tech and that i was freelancing so you know he was coming in to miami to do a commercial and called me up and said hey i want you to be my underwater uh technician camera assistant and so because he knew i knew the housings well and so i went out on that job with him and and uh everything went great i didn't flood the camera and so he started taking me on features so um and so i started working on features basically as an underwater camera assistant and you know i was working as a regular assistant as well on on movies but that was my that became my niche underwater camera assistant uh, or underwater technician. So the great thing about that is obviously, you know, you're in and around water, uh, whether it be uh, ocean, you know, or, or lakes, or, or sometimes you're in a tank in the middle of nowhere, uh, not around water, but you're in water. So, you know, I was very happy to be in that environment. So, but yes, throughout, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 29 years now and uh, I worked on, I don't know, I don't know, my credits are like I don't know, 40 on IMDb, I don't know, 45 or 50 either features or TV shows. You know, it's taken me to a lot of great places all over the world. And, you know, being a surfer, you know, if I'm around the ocean, you know, the first thing I'm thinking when I go to these places is like, are there waves here? And if there are waves here, uh, how can I surf them? And what can I surf them on, right? Um, so... I've I've had some fortunate uh, some fortunate uh, situations where you know I've been like uh, like I went to Tahiti for uh, of all things a Colgate commercial and the the the, the storyline was uh, you know a girl surfer you know a little it was like you know this girl surfer you know I guess she brushes her teeth and the, and they and they morph the Colgate. Uh, going on to her toothbrush, the white Colgate into, you know, maybe it was like a, one of those blue colored uh, toothpaste into a, a wave. And she was actually 
uh, a professional women surfer. I can't remember her name. This was like 18 years ago. Well, they want you know, we shot her surfing and we went to Tahiti to do it. And, you know, I found myself in Tahiti and, uh, and I actually, they asked me to, you know, I operated on this with the director. He want, he was a, a water guy as well. So we both had our own cameras. So we were, we went down to Chopu we didn't shoot Chopu. Um, we shot the break, uh, I don't know, close to it basically, but we were staying down near Chopu. So I got to go get Chopu and my water safety, uh, local ended up being uh, a guy named Vitea uh, David and uh, who obviously former world tour surfer that's right former 80s world tour surfer and I knew who he was right most people wouldn't know who he, who he was but if sure. you're a surfer and you grew up in the 80s you know and you read surfer magazine you know like I did you knew who Vitea David was or David however you want to pronounce it so he introduces himself and I'm like dude you're Vitea David. And he's like, you know who I am? And I'm like, of course. Everybody on the island knew who he was, right? Because he's famous in T. But he was like pleasantly surprised I knew who he was. And I was like, you know, I got a great picture with him, you know, on, on a jet ski. He's taking me out to this break. So anyway, so, you know, after we shot, you know, we, we he had surfboards brought out on a boat and, and paddle boards were just, when we had the paddle boards had just come out. And he gets on this paddleboard and he's just like killing it, right? He's just, it's this right-handed uh, uh, break, you know, and he's just killing it. And so we all had boards. So I got to surf with, you know, Vitea David in Tahiti on this world-class break, you know, as part of the perk of shooting this Colgate commercial. And uh, I had a good story from that, actually. Very funny story. So we, were, we, we had to shoot some more the next day. And uh, we had to shoot some more the next day and um, the waves died. But we had to get this girl somehow cheat her. We had shot her on a wave, but they needed some close-ups of her face. And we, we didn't get those. And so we're trying to figure, we were gonna shoot them on a jet ski, go down the line and uh, do a handheld camera. And this is a good central, this is good. This is for all my central Florida uh, boys who can relate. <laughs> So uh, we decide we're going to shoot her be, uh, you know, being pulled behind a boat on her surfboard uh, with a ski rope, right? Which is scurfing, right? Which we all grew up doing before there were wakeboards in Central Florida on our shoreboards, right? Sure. And uh, you guys both can relate, I know. And so uh, this girl had never done that. So she's laying on the board and then trying, you know, popping up. And so we have, this Australian guy who's the assistant director, <clears throat> who's a good surfer actually, trying to instruct her on how to get up on this board so that we can get her up and running. And I'm, I chime in and say, no, that's not how you do it. I go, you need to lay on your back with, the, with, with your, with, you know, with, you know and, and we'll put a, um, we'll do, put some sort of flotation device on your back that you, cause she couldn't wear it for the shot, but we'll float something behind you, whether it be a life vest just on your back. And you need to lay the board down sideways and put your heels on the board. And when the, when the boat takes off, you dig in, you pop right up. And they're like, that's not, what are you talking about? You don't know what, you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, that's how you do it. You're, you're like some kook, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And so it became, so it became a bet. So we had another Floridian on the boat who knew I came from central Florida growing up on the lake skiing and everything. 
And he goes, I bet you $100, Sean gets right up on the first spot. So it became a, a bet throughout the whole thing. That's and great. so I had, I got in the water and I took that guy's hundred dollars, uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> <That's fantastic. laughs> I popped, I popped right up. And, uh, so I, you know, I, I remember getting on the boat and I go, you never bet against, you know, you never bet a central Florida kid on anything, you know, skiing or on lakes or anything to do with, you know, being pulled behind a boat, you know, one, that's, one a, foot that's a life yeah. lesson. Yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. Nobody, nobody exactly. surfs in a lake better than somebody from Florida. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah. I can, I think it's probably safe to say that when you were in your uh, program at Valencia Community College, uh, learning how to use cameras that you probably didn't envision a career hanging out with Batea David and surfing with Paul Walker, huh? No, no, you know, that's <laughs> like, you know, that's, that, that definitely uh, never would cross my mind. It never even crossed. I, I remember being in the class there. We had 40 people in that class, you know, of all ages and people were you know, we had young people obviously come, you know, trying to figure out like me what we were trying to, what we were going to do. And then we had people who were actually making career changes, but I'll never forget. Um, and I, I, I don't feel the same way about what I was told, but I'll never forget one of the technicians that came in to teach us uh, saying that, you know, there's 40 people in this room, you know, and how hard this industry is to get into and make a living, you know, only a, you know, a handful of you, two or three of you, will we'll actually make a career out of this and make a living out of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're sitting there going, Oh man, you know, like, you know, you know, is this right for me? Like, but, you know, I, I was determined when I heard that to be one of those handful and, you know, and the idea of being able to see my name up on a big screen and a credit was my goal. Right. That was like the ultimate goal to sit in a movie theater. Oh yeah. Watch, watch the credits go up and, uh, and see your name. And that was always the drive. Cool. And, and, and then, you know, you know, then all of a sudden you're doing it and then you're, 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 you're working with, uh, you know, people that, you know, you've maybe watched growing up as a kid on yeah, set. Right. And, and then when you get, you know, you get, you get people who have stuff in common with you that, you know, surf or whatever, or, you know, yeah. that makes it even better. Well, Sean, um, real quick, I think we've got time for, um, a five minute, um, you know, two, it might be two or three minutes. It depends on how long you want to make it, but, just uh, bring us to uh, the west coast of Oahu real quick and tell us how you ended up on Dave Parmenter's board. Okay, yeah. Another surf adventure. Uh, well, I've got, a, I got two, two I'll share with you, and I'll do it quick because I know we, don't, we, don't, we have a lot of time. So um, two really great surf experiences. Uh, the one you're speaking of was a movie called After the Sunset. Uh, it's a Brett Ratner film uh, starring Pierce Brosnan. So I get called to work on that, and um, and if you watch the film, there's a there's a big there's the 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 height of the story is you know these jewels get stolen. Pierce Brosnan is a jewel thief, and how he gets away with it, and uh, and it's on a wreck. And so the the wreck is that it's supposed to happen at night when they're they're supposed to be going out and seeing uh, the manta rays at night. So which there's manta you can go to Hawaii. Uh, and there's a place in, on the big island of Hawaii. You can put, see re- manta rays. Ray. It's a famous dive spot. Well, so we were going to go over to shoot manta rays, but at the same time, we we're trying to, you know, kill two birds, for lack of a better statement. And uh, there, was, there was a wreck there um, off of Oahu, in Oahu that was sat at 100 feet on the Waianae coast of Oahu, which is the west coast, um, which – 
which is was right near a surf spot called Makaha. So the reason we shot on this wreck at 100 feet, which typically we don't shoot that deep because you get into, you know, deco issues and then you're dealing with talent and, you know, that you started to get, that's technical diving, right? Because you get into deco and nitrogen narcosis at that depth. But the reason we were shooting in that depth, the reason we went to this wreck was it was close to where we needed to shoot the manta rays, close enough is an island over. But at 100 feet in the morning, it's dark, right? So we could shoot day for night. Meaning, you know, 100 feet, you know, the sun was still low. You know, we were able to, it was still film days. We were able to expose it to where it felt like it was nighttime. And so, uh, once again, we have locals on our crew. We had this, this guy named Victor who ran a uh, dolphin excursion where you could get in with these spotted dolphins that swim up and down the coast there, which we ended up doing too. But uh, he was a surfer and he was a local at Makaha, which, you know, uh, Macaw is not just a place from my understanding that, you know, you, you pull up as a tourist on a, you know, <laughs> six foot day, uh, as a howley, you know, and paddle out at in the, in the, in the, in, you know, at the first peak lineup. Right. Yeah. And so we had a down day and Victor, who we became friends with two of us were surfers on this. Uh, and we were like, man, where can we go surf? He's like, I'll pick you up at the hotel tomorrow morning at six 30. I'll have boards and we're going. So we get in the car with this guy. I go, where are we going? He's like, we're going to Makaha Point. And I'm like, are we allowed to surf there? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, are we going to, or am I going to be pummeled if I catch away there? He's like, as long as you, they know you're with me, you're all good, right? And I'm like, okay. So we get there, you know, and the waves are like, it's going off. It's like, the waves are perfect. You know, it's like, you know, five to six Hawaiian, which, you know, is triple. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it was, it was pretty intimidating. Right. And I'm like, man, so, you know, we paddle out and, uh, in the water, I hear, Hey, Victor. And she, and he's like, Hey, rail. And it's Rail's son. Right. Like wow. he's in the water swimming, like, you know, and, and, and so there's a lot of guys out and all locals, obviously. So I paddle out in the middle of this lineup with Victor. Victor's kind of letting everybody know, hey, this is Sean. And the other guy was James York, great guy. This is James. And, you know, we were with Victor. We were good, right? And Victor's like, we're going to put you on a wave. So he goes, Sean, turn around and paddle for us. Well, I turn around, paddle for a wave, and all I see is like 50 heads below me, right, of locals, right? You know, <laughs> And I pulled out, and he's like, what are you doing? Like, I got chastised, right, because I didn't paddle. I didn't, it was, And I'm like, man, I said, I am not going to take someone's head off at Makaha, you know, and be the kook howie <laughs> out here and, 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 uh, you know, on, the, on my first wave. So anyway, we, we surfed, you know, and I did catch some and eventually caught some waves and got a little bit more comfortable and had a great time. And, uh, so when we, when we finished, he's like, I got to drop these boards off, you know, at my, at, at my buddy's house that I borrow these from. So he's like, do you guys mind before I drop you off if I swing around and just go to his house? And we're like, no, not at all. So we get out. We start unloading these boards. This dude answers the door. And he's like, hey, this is Dave. This is, you know, Sean and James. And I don't recognize who it is, right? Even though I knew who Dave Parmenter was. Because once again, you know, you go back to the old surfer magazines. Dave Parmenter is like the California soul surfer, right? That you always read about. So... James, though, recognizes who he is and pulls me aside. He's like, holy shit, dude. Do you know who that is? I go, 
No. He goes, that's Dave Parmenter. I go, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no. So yeah, we had uh, basically uh, borrowed Dave Parmenter's boards to surf uh, Makaha on, which, you know, was a story I immediately came back and told Kevin and all my friends, uh, not thinking they'd believe me once again. <laughs> hey, man, I just went and surfed. First of all, that I surfed Makaha, right? That I got paid to be there, right? Because I was working. I know, yeah. And that, just... and that I had borrowed Dave Parmenter's board to go out and surf, right? So Yeah, it's you know, just, a, and, it's important to, uh, I mean, I've been doing this silly film festival for almost eight years now with John and uh, the thrill, as I'm sure with you, um, diminishes after a while when you bump into famous people. But when it comes to surfing, there's a little special part about bumping into a, a surf celebrity that's kind of more fun than I would imagine to, you know, oh, a, a normal star or working with Catherine Zeta-Jones or whoever it is you're working with, you know, this week. But you know uh, what I, I mean? It's kind of thrilling. Yeah. And I appreciate your stories for that reason because I just remember living that with you and sitting around with cold beer and cocktail or whatever and soaking it in and saying, God damn, Sean's got it good out there. You know, he's really living the life. And uh, so, yeah, I felt like just also from a surf movie standpoint and the film festival standpoint, we always have um, not a, a duty, but a, it's just kind of a wish on John and I's part to bring in folks like you who work technically with um, with the, the medium, the, you know, the entertainment format and, the one that we all grew up listening to watching, especially big Wednesday with Milius And uh, I think Greg McGillivray was on that, on that um, camera staff and to yep. sort of hear your story, tie it in and, and just to get the stoke out of you is, uh, is nice. And I want to thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing it with our, uh, our local group of fans, film festival fans, and hopefully they get to take something away from it. Anything else to add Sean or John? No, no, I just, uh, you know, um, if you, I just, my whole thing was, you know, based on my, the, what I said, you know, if you, if you, if you are somebody listening to this and you want to get into the film industry, you know, don't ever be discouraged. If you want to shoot underwater, go shoot underwater. It's, it's, is that there's no better time than now with, you know, the tools that are out there, the affordable tools, right. To go out and, and, and you don't have to have a 400 foot roll of film and a giant housing that you have to rent now to go, and, and, you know, make stories. Right. And, uh, and so I just encourage anybody trying to get into the industry that, you know, it's definitely a doable, uh, thing. Just put your, your mind to it and, uh, and, and it'll, it'll happen. And so look, if, if I can do it, trust me, I was floating around. <laughs> <laughs> if I can do it, anybody can do it. Cause like literally, you know, I, I was, you know, floating around a lost soul and, uh, and, you know, made it happen. So, uh, you are just you are just that you're the kind of guy that makes stuff happen and gets it done um even if it's uh you know getting on a surf trip with your friends or whatever i mean obviously you know raising five kids and having your rental business now with the flow you know, you obviously own a camera rental house yourself now flow cam um you've got real estate going i mean i just i don't know how you fit it all into one day but you're just the guy to do it you're a hungry a hungry uh, doer, if you will. And I'm an old, hung, old hungry doer now. <laughs> oh, getting up there, man. So are we. Old salt. John, yeah. anything to add? 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for, uh, for being on the show. We really appreciate your time and, uh, and hearing some great stories about your adventures. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll see you in the water. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Great hanging with you. And uh, you, guys, you guys are doing a great job with the Florida Surf Film Festival. I've been, to, I've been to it, what, three times or four times now? What a great event. And uh, I think it's great that, uh, you know, you guys are representing Florida and, um, you know, and, and bringing in artists to uh, show their surf movies that are either local or even, you know, the big boys from, you know, out of, out of state or out of the country. So thanks for doing what you're doing. All right. Thanks for joining us today from the beautiful campus at Atlantic Center for the Arts, the home of the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm John Brooks, uh, along with my co-host, Kevin Miller. Thanks for listening. The music from today's episode is from Chad Campbell's genre-changing surf film, The Fifth Symphony Document, and is available on Bandcamp.com.